Well, good morning to you. This morning's verse is from Aaron Miller. And is Aaron even here this morning? Well, but the Miller family is doing it. You can tell her that her verse was, was chosen. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What a verse. What a verse. Well, this morning, hopefully, prayerfully, maybe, we will be completing our study of the series of Christ of the book. And even if we covered a lot of what I have planned this morning, I'm we're still not going to answer all of your questions. As a matter of fact, I'm sure you're probably going to have more questions by the time this study this morning is, is over. But we're going to be looking at Christ of the book. We're going to be looking at the book of Revelation. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, Luke 24, 44 it says, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must, and underline that must, be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And as we get into the book of Revelation, you need to understand that is what the book of Revelation is all about, is the fulfillment of those prophecies, those promises from the Lord Jesus concerning himself, and they must be fulfilled. The things that the book of Revelation talks about are not metaphors. They're not maybes if man can just straighten things out, but they are things that will be brought about. E.W. Bullinger says, The Lord Jesus is the one great subject of the Word of God. Being the promised seed of the woman, he is therefore the master key to the divine revelation of the Word. The whole Bible is about him, directly or indirectly. And as everything centers in and around him, apart from him, it cannot be understood. What a statement. And that's exactly what we have been attempting to get across in this last year and a half, however long it's been, that we've been working on this series, Christ of the Book. And the book of Revelation is all about Christ Jesus and the fulfillment, the bringing to conclusion all of those prophecies, those promises that God the Father made concerning His covenant relationship with His covenant people, the nation of Israel. We need to understand as we get into this this morning that in Genesis, we have paradise lost. In Revelation, it's all about paradise regained. In Genesis, you have the first Adam losing. In Revelation, you have the last Adam regaining. That is, that is what we're going to be looking at this morning. The last book in the canon is the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, as we looked at last week, he is the faithful witness. This name connects him to Isaiah 55, verse 4, which talks about the fact that he is the faithful witness. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader, a commander to the people, and as we get into the book of Revelation, oh, wow, is he. Is he. Not only is he the faithful witness, but he is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning. He is the ending. He is the Almighty, is what the book of Revelation tells us. Now, one of the studies we may take up here in the next few months are the names of God. One of the names of God is El Shaddai. That name itself deserves an entire sermon as we look at 
the fact that he is God, El Shaddai, God Almighty. The word Shaddai, its etymology is all about God in control. God is the one who governs. God is the one who has the purpose for all of creation. The reason that the tides do what they do, the reason that the planets don't fly out of orbit, the reason that everything has order and not chaos is because He is almighty. That's what the word Shaddai means. He is in control. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about, wanting to make sure you understand that as all of this is going on, as, as uh, uh, Daniel 12.1 talks about the fact that there's going to be a time of trouble such as never has happened before. Matthew 24, Christ Jesus says the same thing. There's going to be a time of trouble such as never has happened before. That's what the, that's what the tribulation is all about. Know this, God is in charge. He is in control. And as we look at some of these things that are going to be taking place, it's quite startling. It's quite depressing. But it's not because of who God is. It's because of who man is. And man desires to worship himself. And that's one of the reasons we're in all the trouble that we're in right now. But he's the Alpha and Omega. He's the Almighty. He is the true and faithful one. Matter of fact, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, starting with verse 12. There's a glorious description of the Lord Jesus Christ here. You want to know what the Lord looks like in glory? in His resurrected, glorified, ascended state? Well, I'm about to show you. you. You don't have to wonder about what Christ looks like. Boy, and this, you talk about splendor. You talk about glory. Actually, it's beyond splendor. Revelation chapter 1, starting with verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. And his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of many waters. Let your imagination run with this. Isn't that glorious? And you may tell you something else that's glorious. According to Philippians 2, we, this vile body that we have, we are going to get a body like his. That's what we stand to inherit. This vile, corrupted body is going to be trans transformed likened to His glorious body. Read that again. What He looks like, we are going to have a similar glorified body. One of the keys to understanding this is in Matthew 4. Well, just to show you how it's connected, look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Start with verse 8. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Before we go there, let me say this. Got so excited about that verse, I almost forgot to tell you why we're going to that verse. Matthew 16. I knew there's a verse in Matthew. Look at Matthew 16, but hold your finger at Matthew 4 because we're going to come back there. Look at Matthew 16. This is a question that a lot of people are always asking. It has to do with the transfiguration and how this is connected to what we just talked about in Revelation to show you how Matthew and the book of Revelation are 
are connected. But Matthew 16, verse 27, For the Son of Man, that connects it to Revelation 1 there, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He shall reward every man according to His works. And verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, a lot of people put on the brakes here. They stop here and they go, what? So, was the kingdom established? What, what's going on here? Well, Matthew 17, 1 answers that. What he was talking about is what tra- tra- uh, happens in Matthew 17. After six days, what he said... Some of you sitting here, not you, but those that were here, the ones he was talking to, some of you sitting here, you are you're not going to die. You're not going to taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in His glory with the promise that He's going to be come with His angels. And then after six days, that promise is fulfilled. And after six days, Jesus takes Peter and James and John, who's the author of Revelation, by the way, his brother, and brought them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them and his face to shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. That's another description of Christ in his glory. He is the faithful witness. He is the resurrected one. He is the one that all of creation is going to worship. And it's here in the book of Revelation that we see that so clearly. Here in Matthew, those apostles, they get to glimpse him there at the transfiguration as they, they're high on the mountain. They're going to see him in his glory and Elijah and Moses are going to come and he is going to visit with them talk with them and we know exactly what they talked about they talked about his upcoming crucifixion isn't that interesting but we get a picture of what he's going to look like in eternity what a picture he is the faithful witness and this is in contrast to the counterfeit Messiah that's going to be active, that's a central character during the tribulation period. This counterfeit Messiah, this beast, this Antichrist, he is, he is in direct contrast to the Lord Jesus himself. Now turn to Matthew 4. To understand what's going on there with this beast, this antichrist, this counterfeit, which is what, again, the book of Revelation talks about, uh, shows us it's another one of Satan's ploys. It's another one of Satan's tricks. It's another one of Satan's attempts to stop the purpose and plan of God from taking place. Just as Satan tempted the Lord Jesus in the wilderness and he offers him all the kingdoms of the world, what we find in the book of Revelation is Lucifer, Satan, actually finds someone that he is going to offer all those kingdoms to and they're going to say, sure, works for me. But Isaiah chapter 4, verse 8, And again, the devil takes him up into an exceeding high mountain, talking about the Lord Jesus, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he says unto them, All these things will I give you if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only thou shalt serve. Then the devil leaves him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him, unto the Lord Jesus. So what Satan offered to the Lord, God himself, in the book of Revelation, we find someone that all the kingdoms of the world are going to be answered 
are going to be offered to, and he is going to accept. When you go to the book of Daniel, and we finished it here not too long ago and, and on Wednesday night, but you look at Daniel, you look at the book of Revelation, you look at all the, the things that uh, Daniel talks about, the beast, uh, the Antichrist, that willful king, that man of sin, that son of perdition, all of those things that, that Daniel is talking about concerning this Antichrist, and you, you compare them with what Revelation is talking about, you start getting a clear picture of this conflict, this, this horrendous persecution, and all that's going to take place during the tribulation. But know this. In the book of Daniel, it talks about Daniel's 70th week. When you, talk, when you go to the book of Daniel, and there in, in Daniel 9, we won't go there this morning, but in Daniel 9, uh, it talks about that image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream with the head of gold and, and representing uh, Babylon, the, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and, and then the Medes and Persians, and then the, the Greeks, and then the Romans, all the way down to the feet and the feet that are made of miry clay and iron. And then there's a picture. Do we find that? See, there's a picture of that image, where there, and it's all the Gentile nations that had dominance over the nation of Israel, all the way down to the feet, those, that miry clay. And that kingdom represents Daniel's 70th week. That 70th week being the last seven years, which we know it as the tribulation. We know it as the day, a time of Jacob's trouble. We know it as the day of the Lord. What this image here shows us is Christ Jesus, what that rock, what Daniel talks about, that rock is going to do, it's going to crush those feet. That represents the beast, and that's going to happen. That's what the book of Revelation tells us and talks about throughout this book. Daniel talks about from 483 years until the Messiah is cut off. 483, that's exactly how long it was from the time Daniel said to start marking it when uh, the order was given for the city of Jerusalem to be built. From that moment all the way to the cutting off of the Messiah was exactly 483 years. Leaving that seven years for the beast or the time of the Gentiles to be fulfilled. And you say, well, what happened to that last seven years? It's coming. What we know as the interim is this day of grace. It's the church age, this dispensation of the grace of God. God is not willing that any should perish. God is so loving, He is so merciful that He extends salvation by grace. And that's this age that we're living in now. Prophetically, after Christ was crucified, the tribulation should have started. What Joel prophesied should have started. Wouldn't it be something if Peter or one of them had talked about the tribulation starting? Well, he did. In Second Peter, I mean, in, in Acts chapter 2. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and he describes the, the, uh, the tribulation. So all that timing was just right, except there was something hid in God, something wonderful, something glorious, something that God intended, and that was to save you by grace through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's why we've been living in this, this period. And it's, it doesn't mean that God's off someplace else doing something else. It doesn't mean that He's forgotten about us. What it means is He is long-suffering. He is merciful. He is not willing that any should perish. The book of Revelation is all about the day of the Lord and that persecution that's coming. Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. 
And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Now, it's going to be hellacious during the tribulation period. There's the reason it's called the great and terrible day of the Lord. There's a reason that the persecution is so severe. But I've got news for you. You have not been appointed to this wrath. Can you say amen? God's word's very clear. You have not been appointed to wrath. This is the wrath it's talking about. Church, you're not going to go through the tribulation. You're going to be raptured out. That's our blessed hope. We're not going to go through all that. That's, and that's the, it's the book of Revelation that makes it so clear with the judgments and the persecution and the things that take place. We read it. We, we, we grieve over it. We grieve for our loved ones, for our friends who just do not see their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to warn them, not just for the horrors of hell, but the horrors of this tribulation. That's why we're trying to work up a program right now so that we can write letters to our loved ones and friends who don't know Christ so that when the rapture takes place, because we're all gone. And there are people you've witnessed to. There are people that you've told about God's love and His mercy and, and how to be saved. You've told them and you've told them and you've told them and they've rejected and they've rejected they've rejected. And then you're going to be gone. And they're going to be, what happened? So first of all, make sure you tell them ahead of time what's happened. And then we want to work up a plan where there's a letter, there's a, there's a video, there's something that explains to them what happened because they're still going to have a chance to trust God, not the way we believe today, Paul talks about this is the day of salvation. But during that tribulation, there's going to be a time that the persecution is going to be so severe. But as long as they believe that Christ is the true Messiah, as long as they believe that He is the Son of God, as long as they do the first works, and, and we're going to look at those seven Jewish assemblies in just a second. But people say, well, there, there are no second chances. Oh, during the tribulation, do you understand that when the rapture takes place, we're all going to be gone, right? We're, we're all going to be gone. And if you're not, let's talk. But every one of us here, we will be gone. There will not be any believers left. And you know what God's going to do in His grace and mercy? And make sure that His purpose is followed through, maintained. He's going to send two witnesses. Those two witnesses are going to have all sorts of power and ability, and they are going to be preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And those two witnesses are going to influence 144,000 Jews, 12,000 out of every tribe, and they are going to be major evangelists, and they're going to be going around the world preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the grace of God, that's been halted. That's, that, that's, that good news is not going to be the saving good news. What those two witnesses, until they are martyred by the beast, and those 144,000, what they're going to be preaching is what John says, uh, right, or what John says to those seven Jewish assemblies, I know your works, and he that overcomes unto the end. Those seven Jewish assemblies, those seven ecclesias, those called out ones, don't put the church, the body of Christ there. That's not what that's describing. It's all works-based. It's all he that endures unto the end. Endures what? The tribulation. And does not do what? Take the mark of the beast. Take the mark of the beast. And so all of that is going to be declared. That's what we're needing to be, we're needing to share that just, if now is the day of salvation. 
But once the rapture takes place, know that there is going to be a good news that's preached, the good news of the kingdom, that Jesus Christ is the true Messiah. He's this counterfeit, this beast, this antichrist. He's going to be preaching the same thing. The first seal shows him coming down as a, uh, on a white horse, mimicking all the way through that ministry. He mimics Christ. He even goes and sits in the temple declaring himself to be God, mimicking. He wants to be worshipped. He's declaring himself to be God. And so there's going to be the message with the false prophet and, and his minions saying, worship him, worship him. And Satan is saying, yeah, worship him, because by worshiping him, you're actually worshiping Satan. That's what's going to be active and going during this time. Make sure your loved ones, make sure your friends who do not know the Lord Jesus know what's coming. And whatever they do, do not take the mark of the beast. Right? Do not take the mark of the beast. But it's during this time that the wrath of God is filled and we've not been appointed to that wrath. What's interesting is that the word apocalypse, yeah, the word apocalypse has come to have bad connotations. Talk about something is apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. It's bad, right? We talk about the apocalypse and people shudder has to do with a chaotic state. It has to do with the end of the world. It has to do with destruction. Well, that's not what the word apocalypse means. What the word apocalypse means is simply appearing. That's what it means. This is the revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ, the revealing of our Lord and Savior. I can understand, I can understand if you don't know the Lord, why that would be a scary thing. But what apocalypse means is simply the appearing, the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, let me encourage you to know him. In Revelation chapter 1, the first chapter indicates that everything that happens in the book of Revelation is future. Uh, it, it starts out with the introduction and the conclusion is written before, uh, is written after the events. The first chapter talks about the fact that it's prophecy, indicating that it's future. It indicates that it's at hand. It indicates that it's going to happen shor uh, shortly. As the verse that we looked at uh, in Revelation 22 also indicates that what's going on here is going to happen soon. But something intervened. Something happened. And what happened was God in His grace and mercy and long-suffering has postponed what's going to happen here. But look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. And I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So John's on the isle of Patmos. Doesn't tell us why he's there, but he's there well, if, for the word of God in order to receive the word of God. And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, folks... Don't read that as Sunday. Why and where that understanding raised its confusing head, I don't know. But Sunday is not the Lord's day. And it's certainly not the day of the Lord. I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day, in the day of the Lord. In 2 Peter 3.10, it's the exactly same Greek wording, except there it's, it's 
translated uh, the day of the Lord. Here it's translated Lord's Day. And then people try to plop Sunday into that and say, well, on a Sunday, he was on the Isle of Patmos. That's not what this is saying. What's going to happen to John is he's going to be taken by the Holy Spirit and he's going to be taken into the tribulation period, into the day of the Lord. And he is going to be shown things that are going to happen. He, there's going to be a vision on, uh, in heaven. There's going to be a vision on earth. There's going to be another vision in heaven. Then there's going to be a vision on earth. All the way through, it's going to do that. Then you have the seven Jewish assemblies that he is uh, going to be writing about and to the angel of the church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, to the angel of the church in Pergamos. All of these are future Jewish assemblies. Every one of these are tied to Israel's history and a theme concerning Israel's history. It's not the church. Don't just, well, it uses the word church. It uses the Greek word for called out ones, ecclesia, or assemblies. If this is the church, the body of Christ, then do you know you can get your uh, candlestick taken away? Do you know that you have to overcome in order to be saved? Each one of these are tied to Israel's history where they're leaving their first love, which was Israel coming out of Egypt and, and the love for God and understanding that marriage relationship uh, to relation that Jezebel had with Israel and that Balaam had with Israel. Every one of those, something that's tied to Israel. And I think it has to do with different things that are going to take place during that tribulation period but they all point to future activity. I mean, uh, and if you've attended the Revelation class, and we've done that many times, hopefully you'll under, you, you're in agreement with that. You, you see that clearly. But these are not the church, the body of Christ. You can't connect these. There is no eternal security here. Everything, their relationship is conditional from removing their candlestick to removing their white stone. All of it, it is a picture of God's relationship with the nation of Israel. The day of the Lord. And those two witnesses are going to be going around preaching the gospel of the grace of God. Uh, look at Revelation 7 real quick, real quick. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. And they crowded with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 11 says, And they worshiped God. These are people that are going to come out of the tribulation. That's what verse 14, and these are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white. Uh, uh, through the blood of the Lamb. These are people who are going to come to know the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. They're going to be saved. Make sure your friends, if they reject now, well, first of all, make sure they understand when you're gone that here's what they need to do. I, I, I can't stress that enough. If they won't listen to you now, please explain this to them. They want to be one of these that no man could number. Well, I tried. I tried. These seven Jewish assemblies are future. It's not the body of Christ. The, won't do it now, but Zechariah chapter 4, verses, verse 11 and, and following, talks about the olive tree and, and ties it to those that are going to be preaching during the, the tribulation period to the uh, 
the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. I mean, it's, it's all connected to the Israel's promises and plans. And where people get so bogged down is they don't see that, that clearly. And each one of these churches, these Jewish assemblies, are represented by a candlestick. And that candlestick, go, go back to Zechariah 4, and you kind of give some uh, clarity on that. But each one of these candlesticks, whether it be in Ephesus or Smyrna or Thyatira, matter of fact, Revelation wasn't even accepted into the canon for like 300 years because there was never a church in Thyatira. And they said, well, that can't be the inspired word of God. There's a mistake. No, there's going to be a church in Thyatira. It's future. Problem solved. But each one of those candlesticks represent the menorah that was in the temple, the menorah with the seven candlesticks, and the menorah that sits there and burns brightly, that gives light to the priest to come in and function and do their priestly duties. That's what the menorah was it was for. And it showed the unity of Israel. It showed God working there in Israel. Well, in the Revelation, it's going to be the very opposite. It's going to be all these Jewish assemblies that are scattered. Each one has a candlestick burning to give light during that tribulation period. I mean, that, that really deserves a whole lot more explanation. But you get the idea. Well, how close are we before he returns as the King of kings and the Lord of lords? How close are we? Well, God's word is very clear that there's going to be a one world religion. And you got to know, you need to know that there are those that are pushing for a one-world religious system. There is a group that wants to see the creature worshipped more than the Creator. There's a group that has a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. The United Religions Initiative is a major force behind, and they're active. They work with those that would like to see artificial intelligence write a new Bible. See, they don't want to trust God for it. They want man to program everything he knows and his own morality and ethics and what man sees as good. And woe to them that call good evil and evil good. But that's what all programmed into AI and then have AI come up with a new Bible, one that modern man can, can embrace and go, look at here, I guarantee you it's going to be all about diversity and not holiness. I can tell you this, it's, all, it's, going, to be all, uh, all, it's going to be all about tolerance and not righteousness. It's all going to be based on what man says is good, not what God's Word says is good and righteous. Because man desires to worship himself. That one, we're there. We're there when it comes to the one world religion. I got a lot more than that, but we're out of time. It's going to be a one world government, global government, the beast at the head, again, mimicking. What we long to see is Christ Jesus on earth ruling and reigning. He wants to rule and reign just as Satan has offered him to do. Being a counterfeit, one world government, Daniel 8, 23, Revelation 7, 12, and 13, both of those scriptures talk about the beast ruling and reigning and controlling the entire planet. We're almost there. Matter of fact, the lie that, that's going to be so prevalent is that this beast 
is the true Messiah and the, the real Messiah, if you believe on him, you're going to be martyred. And this false Messiah, you want to identify with him, you take this mark of the beast. There is a push. How close are we? There is a push for a one-world monetary system. Your president signed an executive order back in March of 2022 to advance digital currency and eventually do away with, with cash. Oh, no, 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 that's, that's not, that was not the game plan. I've got some swamp land in Arizona to sell you if you believe that's not the purpose behind that executive order as they advance this whole digital currency plan and program because a digital currency will control you and your spending so that you can't buy, you can't sell unless you take the mark of the beast and that's going to tell them whether or not you're on board with him. That digital currency is going to set up for that very activity. It's not only a redistribution of wealth, it's the control of wealth. It's going to be a control of spending. And Revelation 13, verses 11 through 18, points that out. You can't buy or sell. We're there, folks. With a flip of a switch, banking, is, it's there. Or the capability is there. But the most concerning, and I'm hurrying, but the most concerning to me is the push for transhumanism. Transhumanism and AI, artificial intelligence, being grouped together. And proponents claim that it is the next step in human evolutionary process. It is so far along with transhumanism that they even have a name for it. It's called post-human beings. Post-human beings. It has to do with biological uplift. You know that's not coming from me because I'm not smart enough to come up with a term like that. That can never happen. Google it. Now think about it. You say that can't ever happen, but 20 years ago, if I'd have said Google it, you'd have said, what? Knew about Barney Google with the googly eyes. And I'm probably the only one here old enough to remember Barney Google. How many of you remember Barney Google? Yeah, yeah. Me and Wendell. Or Wendell and I. But the fact that I can tell you to, on your way home, not while you're driving, take your phone, Google biological uplift, uh, post-human beings, and start reading the information that's there and the hope and the plan. The vision of a transhumanist is a, trans, is a, a, transhumanist is a tra- transformed human humanity. It focuses on the applications of technology to the improvement of human bodies at the individual level. Transhumanism, their goal is to transcend biology through technology and to meld human biology with technology and artificial intelligence. It's a belief or theory that that the human race is, and the human race its concurrent and mental uh, limitations can be changed with technology. And I got a whole lot more to say about that. But this AI, this is from Byte magazine, and their take on artificial intelligence. You awake one morning to find your brain has another lobe functioning. Invisible, this auxiliary lobe answers your questions with information beyond the realm of your own memory. 
suggest plausible courses of action, and ask questions that help bring out relevant facts. You quickly come to rely on the new lobe so much that you stop wondering how it works. You just use it. This is the dream of artificial intelligence. That was in 1985. Folks, they have advanced quite a bit since, since then. Future technologies and innovative social systems to improve the quality of all life while seeking to make the material reality of the human condition fulfill the promise of legal and political equality by eliminating congenital, mental, and physical barriers. And I'm going to tell you something. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? You have a mental disorder. Mark me well. That's coming. Transhumanist philosophies argue that that there not only exists a perfectionist ethical imperative for humans to strive for progress and improvement of the human condition, but that it is possible and desirable for humanity to enter a transhuman phrase of existence in which humans enhance themselves beyond what is naturally human. In such a phase, natural evolution would be replaced with deliberate or directed evolution. How can that happen? Well, the Draper Laboratories are working on a deal that's out of DARPA. It's the Defense Advanced Research Project. And DARPA is all about the implantation of a small chip in your brain. In your brain. That's going to control... PTSD, this can possibly a, a lot of wonderful benefits. You're depressed. Why they're working on right now where that chip can be implanted. And if you're depressed and you've contemplated suicide, why that's going to be wiped away. You have bad dreams, we can fix it. That's their plan. That's their goal. That's what they're working toward, to implant that chip in your brain. I, I don't know what I did with the other one that had, that actually talked about that. Anyway, it's time to go. And that was reported by CBS News just two years ago, okay? That that's what they're working on. Talk about the genetic code and the mRNA vaccine and, and all the stuff that's going on. Folks, it's all, we see the book of Revelation bearing all of what humanity is going to try to bring about. Technology-wise, we are there. The arrogancy and attitude level of humanity is there. The hatred for biblical Christianity is there. We need to realize that. In closing this morning, I want you to stand with me. And I'm going to read something quickly. Because I don't want you to leave here shaking in your shoes because there's no reason to. And I'm about to tell you why. That all of this horrifying things that are on the horizon don't need to be to members of the body of Christ. We have the victory in Christ. We've not been given the spirit of fear. But stand in amazement as I try to read Revelation 5. See, it's not about what's coming. It's all about who's coming. And that's where the victory is. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book 
and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. And he came, and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hath made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast of the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts and the, and the four beasts said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. God's got this. Let me tell you. God's got this. He is victorious. And if you don't know him, the invitation is open. By faith believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. 